Welcome everyone to the Krause House episode number 55. I'm Commodore. I'm missing my co-host today, Flex Chapman. We're going to dive into this episode solo. We did the last episode solo. Got some decent feedback on it, so hopefully I can man the ship alone. I'm kind of picturing myself, you know, you went to the court to play one-on-one. You got to shoot around. We'll make it work. But episode number 55, I was trying to think about who to dedicate this to in the NBA. The list is really, really long. There was actually this guy, I got to pull it up here. His name is Goo Kennedy. G-O-O Kennedy played for the Spirits of St. Louis in 1975. What a name. What a team. What a reference there. But if I had to pick, I think I think I got to go Roy Hibbert. Roy Hibbert rocked the Jersey Indiana Pacers, I think all the way through his tenure there. Actually played for the Hornets in 2017 with the Jersey as well. I got to say, I was a huge Roy guy. I feel like that team, when they had... Danny Granger, Paul George, Roy Hibbert, they were giving the Miami Heat a really tough matchup. And and I loved watching that team play. I felt like they were tough. I felt like they were skilled. I also felt like those three were really, really great, you know, big three, really well balanced as well. And I thought Roy was going to be like one of these big, you know, resurgence of, of big men in the NBA. I thought he was tremendously talented. And obviously there's a bunch of rumors about some of the team shenanigans that occurred with, with Roy and it is unfortunate his career really fell off a, a really cliff obviously Paul George ended up having a stellar career after that as well but man shout out to Roy Hibbert I thought I thought that was going to be an epic epic career and I love that team but unfortunately it just didn't work all right today we're going to talk NBA trades I have to talk about Dame to Milwaukee but we're also talking about Drew to Boston I also want to touch on college football relegation and promotion model that's been floating around the internet. I think it's really, really fascinating. I think it has a lot of really interesting pros and cons that I'd like to talk about. There was also a LAFC membership that was launched using crypto as its its rails. I think that's a really interesting project we should touch on. We're going to get into alternative broadcasts, specifically the Toy Story doing the NFL and the Disney Pixar thing. Also have an idea for an app. Uh, an app, really kind of a companion app. I'm calling it kind of a dead time app. I want to share that with the broader community, get any feedback and brainstorm of folks that might be listening. And then also, we got a little sneak peek of the NBA preview episode that we're going to be doing with Bayesian as a around the association, Krausehouse podcast, crossover, big, big NBA preview coming out here in a couple of weeks. So let's hop into this NBA trade. I'm sure all of you heard Damian Lillard is now Milwaukee Buck. And I don't know if you can tell through the through the smile of this ski mask, but I'm ecstatic. Ecstatic. I love Drew Holiday. Love the guy. I think that he helped us win a championship. He's an incredible person. He's a great fit for the system, especially defensive-minded Milwaukee Bucks team. Drew's amazing. Dame is Dame. I've been watching YouTube clips and there's these clips out there. They're 10 minutes long, 20 minutes long. You can find very, very long highlight reels of Dame that are very long. And it's compilations of all of his shots that he's making. It's unbelievable. Honestly, watching these highlights has made me realize that I forgot of how good Dame even was. And I think it's because I've only seen really Dame, you know, shooting the half court shots at all-star games, hitting some buzzer beaters. You, of course, see Dame, you know, in the top 10 highlight, maybe of, you know, hitting a big shot. 
But the degree of difficulty in the shots that he makes night in and night out while he's going to go get his 30, right? It's a random bucket in the first quarter that effectively didn't mean anything. That he is scoring like through contact, up and under, you know, left, right, step backs, mid-range. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. And the range is unbelievable. And I know this is something that we've all seen and heard, but I just, as a Milwaukee Bucks fan, the thought that you have to bring out the gravity that Dame has away from the and the gravity that Giannis has towards the hoop is just unbelievable. And, you know, I love Drew, and Drew got us a championship. But to be able to trade Drew effectively for Dame, watch out. Watch out. Now, of course, we all know a few days later, Drew Holiday goes to the Boston Celtics, which was really, really challenging pill for me to swallow. I, I posted this in the in the Discord, like, that's the one team I really didn't want to see him go. Maybe Miami was the other team. Miami and Boston. I just didn't want to see him go to a contender out east. And, man, they did they find a, a Dame stopper in, in Drew. And that's really, really scary and concerning. They gave up a lot. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of good chatter on the NBA subreddit of just talking about, you know, hey, this roster before the season, after season, it really probably lifted their ceiling and probably dropped their floor. The top part of their roster is really, really strong, but the depth is really, really lacking. And Milwaukee certainly struggled with that in the past with some of their depth. But man, what a what an amazing end of the kind of trade season space for us to walk into media day on top of it with Drew in Boston, Dame in Milwaukee. The East is really shaking out. And we're going to go to the NBA preview in, in a future episode here. But you also got to wonder who's third in the East. Is it is it Miami or Philly? Is it New York and, and Cleveland? Is it kind of the, the guard changed? I don't know. But I love to see Milwaukee back in the mix. I I can't wait to watch this first game with, with Dame and Giannis out in the court. There's going to be some adjustments. You know, I think both of these guys, they're finishers. They want that kind of last-minute shot, but I think they also respect each other and friends. So watch out, NBA. It feels very, very good to be a Milwaukee Buck fan right now. Unbelievable. So excited. I'm sure Flex would be giving me lots of shit right now if we're on the call. But like, ah, oh, settle down. Let's, you know, see how it goes. But, like, man. This is what we live for as NBA fans. I am ecstatic. Ecstatic, baby. All right. We are going to pull up this idea of like a college football relegation promotion model. I think it's really, really fascinating because it allows some really interesting opportunities to exist. So let's pull this up. All right. So the idea is just like in the Premier League. Right. So just a refresher for everyone in the Premier League soccer and a lot of soccer around the world, you have this idea of promotion and relegation. Basically, I mean, you can you can move up a division or you can drop down a division. And what's wild is American professional sports. We don't do this. Right. So the worst teams in the league, they get a draft and they slide up and, you know, to kind of have this process. And there's tanking considerations in that model. Now, the owners that own clubs in leagues that don't have promotion and relegation their business investment's a little bit more protected because the worst case scenario is you're the worst team in that league. What happens in Premier League and other professional soccer leagues is that you actually get kicked out of the league. You move down a league. And so there's media sharing and there's you know, all sorts of different revenue sharing opportunities by existing in that top league. So when you get relegated down to the division below that, you're actually losing, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so there's a very strong incentive to never tank. Like you'd much rather be in the middle of the pack and never get relegated than at the bottom 
and constantly getting relegated and having material revenue impacts. And so there was this idea that's been floating around on X, formerly Twitter, around applying this idea now to college football and college sports. And I think it's really fascinating because now we're seeing with the NIL and we're seeing with all this realignment in the conferences, college sports is sort of broken and probably in a good way, but it's broken in terms of how it's structured. And I think we have this huge opportunity right now looking ahead of us, taking the lot concepts that we've learned around promotion and relegation and applying it to college sports. And what I think is so, the parallels are so strong here is that in college football, similar to the way that you have European soccer, is there's a shit ton of teams playing and competing for this space. And so, you know, when you look at all, you know, 100 plus college football teams that are, you know, putting rosters together to want to go compete, it, it looks a lot like European soccer to having all these local clubs and regional clubs, you know, trying to compete to, to, to play the best soccer they can. So let me just break down the kind of thing that's floating around. So this idea of like, they created a Premier League essentially college football. It's teams like Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Texas, Clemson, FSU, Alabama, Michigan, you know, these these big, big, you know, prominent organizations throughout the years. The level below that's champion. It's going to be teams like Ole Miss, Washington, it looks like UCLA, Baylor, Texas Tech, Wisconsin, Florida. League One's below that. You have teams like UCF, Cincinnati, UNC, Duke, Michigan State, West Virginia, Auburn, Kentucky, Syracuse. Now, again, the top teams, the top four that perform in, let's say, that division, let's say it's Cincinnati, UNC, Duke, and Michigan State, they win that. If they're in the top four of that division, that league that year, then the next year they get moved up and they would be moved up into the Champions League. And they would, of course, have more revenue sharing and all the different opportunities that go along with that. And the four worst teams in that that league would then go down. And I just love this idea because you just really put on this embracing of every team has, every college has a college football team. They're all competing in this broad thing. It's a complete mess, right? Of who should rank, you know, top 25 and you have a subjective mechanism and all that stuff. You just simplify that all into these, these leagues. You rally them all up and then you build teams going up and teams going down. I absolutely love the idea. I don't know how realistic it is. I think it's more realistic than it's ever been with the NIL and all the reshuffling that's been going on across the, the conferences. I think money is officially in college football. Obviously, it was clearly in it before, but I think now that it's kind of transparent, we can say, hey, how do we organize the structure to the best of the, the, the world of college football? I'm really excited about it. So I just want to continue to beat this drum of advocating. I want to see college football move to relegation promotion. I want to see it happen soon. I think it'd make college football a little extra awesome. I'd be super curious what people think in the Twitter comments. Let's move to LAFC memberships. They're calling it Join the Black and Gold Family. It's a new loyalty club that offers exclusive benefits to the fans in the heart of Los Angeles and around the world. And by joining, you get granted unique privileges and the opportunity to access premium experiences in and around the club. So LAFC has certainly had, you know, there's a lot of celebrity investment and in sort of obviously being in LA, they've done a great job of building this brand around that entire culture. And what's really exciting about this particular membership announcement is it's a really great example. They're really talking and presenting to the public in a very traditional way. But this membership structure sits on on blockchain technology and, and actually sits on Web3 Rails. And I think that the conversations that we've had with ownership groups, we've joked that this, we kind of call this Web 2.1. And I love to see LAFC coming out here to go and doing something in this space to, to experiment 
and actually drive adoption of this because when you when as soon as you add that like point one, it's again it's a tongue in cheek joke, but what's really powerful about it is that you have then the opportunity to say like okay well even if you did a custodial wallet that's still technically a wallet going on chain, you might call it a season pass or a membership in their case like you know I'm looking at entry membership, local membership, global membership, youth membership. Great, those all exist as NFTs behind the scenes. You're giving the user a very simple UX experience of joining, logging in, interacting with this thing. But then you could start accruing things like loyalty tokens and whatnot to them, stamps, you know, POAP type situations. And you all of a sudden, you know, in five years, if you want to kind of peel back the hood and say, hey, wait a second, you're actually a crypto user. And if you want to throw some ETH in here or some USDC or Bitcoin or whatever, you can actually take custody of your wallet and we can go do X or Z. I, I just, I, I love experimentation in this particular space. So I just wanted to give a little kudos and for folks, we'll put a link in the description to the LAFC, calling it the Gold Loyalty Club. Fascinating little experiment. I will say, you know, as someone who's been thinking a lot about this general space, the list of perks aren't super amazing. However, is a V1. So I'm, I'm willing to certainly give a pass. And I do, I do think it sort of speaks to the challenges of building out these kind of fan membership systems and if the ownership is not willing to go really deep, and we often talk to ownership groups and we say, hey, are you willing to cut to the bone? Because if we're cutting to the skin here, what's the point? Like fans are going to be upset. You're really not taking on the internet's home team approach. You're not getting a first mover advantage. We need to find ownership groups that are willing to cut to the bone and, and for us to really feel excited about partnering with them. And I'm sensing, and I do not want to put this word out there. I don't want to make any accusations. I'm sensing that the LAFC is cutting to the skin, maybe a little bit in the muscle, but I'm not seeing cutting into the bone. And that's really, really what I want to see when it relates to pushing the envelope of driving fan ownership experiences into the club. And so some of the things they kind of break it down in a couple of groups, uh, I'm going to look at here, the local membership and the global membership, which actually shout out to them. I like this distinction saying, hey, some people are really going to want to take member advantage of this by being local and attending things. And some folks are going to be want to be part of this sort of internet's home team, and they're calling it a global membership, which I think is pretty cool. But they're breaking this into a couple of categories, so media, merchandise, and memories. And so in the memories category, that's where the local things start to show up. So like free or discounted tickets to some matches, watch local watch parties. I think those ideas are really cool. But I also think, why not make watch parties digitally for the global membership, right? How do we embrace the fact that your bigger TAM, total available market, or TAF, total available fans, is much larger by thinking about international global watch parties? How do we embrace that experience? How do we rent bars and stream games there, right? I'm really interested in pushing the envelope in, in those types of areas. So shout out to those folks for putting this together. Excited to see where this all goes. I love that they're doing Web 2.1. Love to see you guys cut a little bit deeper, but hey, I'm sitting on the sideline. You guys are out there shipping and building and like, I understand these things are quite complicated. So kudos to LAFC team for trying this wild experiment. All right, let's talk about alternative broadcasts. I'm sure a lot of you saw the Toy Story, the NFL, Disney Plus, Pixar collaboration for the Jaguars game. And they rebroadcasted it essentially through this lens of Toy Story. So if you didn't see it, let me try to explain it. And it's going to sound insane until you actually go look at it. So we'll put some links in the show notes to give you guys a little bit more context of what the hell I'm talking about. But they basically made this in Toy Story. 
And they went into Andy's room, and it's a football field in Andy's room. And all the characters look like little Pixar characters, or little football people, kind of large football heads, little tiny bodies. And they play the real game that's happening on the field. They just do it digitally inside of this Toy Story world. So what I mean by that is like Trevor Lawrence, let's say Trevor Lawrence is in shotgun formation, and he takes three steps to the left to do, talk to someone. In Toy Story World, you'll see a little character and he'll walk a couple steps to the left. Let's say he walks to the right, walks to the right, and he walks in the percentage, audibles, goes back under center, and all that. You're going to all see that in Toy Story World. Hikes the ball, throws the ball. You can see the ball go up in the air. And I thought it was cool too. They added a couple little animations. You know, let's say you caught the ball and you were wide open and you were running really fast. Then they would add like some smoke behind you. Like, hey, you're, this guy's going really, really fast. And it, I think it's a testament, by the way, to the latency and the machine vision. And I believe they were using some like laser technology and whatnot to to really track these players and try to mimic elements of, of what they were actually doing. You were able to watch this entire Toy Story broadcast in a pretty reasonable way. I thought that they did a great job of capturing the essence of the game that you're watching. I think it's part of a big trend that we're seeing here by injecting technology even deeper they're trying to find ways of engaging kids. And it's kind of funny because I think the things that this really went notable was really a Gen Z slash millennial reaction, just given the affinity with Toy Story, having kind of grown up with this. And so I think there's this kind of this funny element where there was a lot of talk about how do we bring in kids into the experience. And I actually just think it kind of pulled on the nostalgia string here of just bringing a nostalgic memory and integrating it with football in a really fun, novel way. But I think this particular format, right, I'm sure they learned a lot about what they liked about it, what they didn't like, and, you know, the focus groups and all the type of research that they're going to go do and understand about it. But I think this idea of taking this asset of this game that has happened in particular ways and then remixing it into new experiences and then custom tailoring that, right? So someone watched that in Toy Story, but you could watch, imagine someone else wanting to watch that in a World of Warcraft world or, you know, in a, in, a, in a space world, in a pirate world, right? You start to think about how does AI allow for every single fan to connect with this? You know, you could almost think about it. It's like this black box, ram, you know, randomizer game experience. And then you can pull all these filters and layers on top of that. And those can all be customizable in any, in any way that you want. I think that's the part that's really exciting to me because then you have this immersive world experience that you have. And another one that folks like to talk about these kind of alternative broadcasts. It's not quite an alternative broadcast, but Travis Scott, he did a, a concert in Fortnite that absolutely crushed. I forgot the exact numbers on it, but the numbers were absolutely massive off his charts. And you think about like what that actually was is all these kids around the world went on their computers and their Nintendo Switches and their phones and their Xboxes. They logged on all around the world and then they all took their character to a particular spot in a digital world. And then Travis Scott, probably I'm assuming in his apartment, or maybe he went to like a local studio that they had kind of set up for him, but he comes and performs a set in one single location and they generate a shit ton of money by doing this. And a ton of people showed up to the set as well. And I think like that experience is just a really great example of just like, that's an entirely new novel way of taking an existing thing, creating all these lens and layers to it and remixing it and distributing it. And I'm sure that I, I don't think they went down this rabbit hole, but I mean, I could imagine you could have a private group go to that concert, right? You just, you're kind of your, your play party. 
You could have it with the global people. You could do it with just people in your city, your state. I mean, there's just so many different variations that you could go do to go experience this. And I think this is the trend that we're seeing of engaging different people in different ways by taking though the same asset and using technology to remix it. And I, I just think that's a really, really powerful mechanism. Interestingly enough, Premier League then launches a data-heavy altcast worldwide. And so they're now doing, so they're partnered with this brand called Genius Sports, and they're trying to do a data-heavy feed each match week that they kind of highlight, which sounds a lot like Amazon Prime Vision, which I also checked out recently. And I got to say, Amazon Prime Vision, I was a little underwhelmed. I don't know if you guys have watched it, but really, I liked being able to see who was out in the field, the kind of the drop back thing, but I really didn't get a sense of like what was happening, what might happen, maybe what are the kind of the weak zones and some of the, the defense. I'd really like to see the next iteration of Prime Vision giving me something other than just sort of the basic facts. It's like, yeah, I can't quite see that number 87 is number 87 because his shoulder pad is lined up to the camera as opposed to his back or his front. And is that helpful? Sure. But like, give me the probability he throws that way. Give me the probability of what route we think we're going to run. Flash the defense, say, hey, we think they might be running cover two. This just give me like something. And I think Tony Romo's experience, when Tony Romo came on the scene, a lot of people really liked his announcing because one of the things that he did is he constantly predicted what was going to happen. Say, hey, guys, it's third and short. The team loves to do X, Y, and Z. Watch out for, you know, Jason Witten here to come on a little bubble screen and throw left. And sure enough, that's exactly what would happen. And that made for really engaging TV. Maybe there's some competitive concerns and whatnot that you're sort of like, you, you know, you could watch that broadcast and feed it back or something. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. But I would love to see that next version of it. So Premier League is doing the same thing. They're going to start with Arsenal and Manchester City on Sunday. They're going to launch it to 185 countries, which I think is absolutely wild. They're going to be trying to do this alternative broadcasting. And I think one of the pieces that here that I want to touch on is that we're seeing alternative broadcasts happen across all sport. And what I love about it is that having this single broadcast and two announcers, you know, the John Madden and Pat. Oh, man, I can't even remember Pat's last name. RIP Pat. But the two announcers calling the game, and that's the entire call that you have. You can't necessarily like why, like I want to do a comedic version or I want to do, you know, an adult rated one, or I want to do a complete Homer one. Hey, if I'm watching the Packers, like just give me the most like biased Packer fan announcers ever, just like the radio broadcast. You let them just get me riled up, you know, kind of let's get excited about it. Why not? I think the actual cost of being able to replicate these is getting so low, not to mention using things like artificial intelligence to supplement it. It really is the future. So I'm really excited about these alternative broadcasts broadly. Super exciting to see what the NFL was doing with Toy Story and Disney and experimenting in that space by going entirely fictional. You know, we certainly the two, the latter two are talking about Premier League and Amazon Prime. Those are supplemental. But what Toy Story is doing, which is, you know, where NFL was doing with Disney and Pixar is wild because it's, it's replacement, you know, and sort of this idea of augmented, you know, well, sorry, this idea of, effectively virtual reality compared compared to augmented reality or mixed reality as as the new the new buzzword really fascinating to see so massive massive trend that that we're seeing and really excited to see how that plays out all right so i want to talk about this dead time app idea that i recently had and i'm kind of trying this new format here so bear with me but i'd written out kind of a you know one pager for lack of a better word in the discord 
just wanting to get people's input and ideas, start thinking about it a little bit. But I want to try to just kind of alpha drop it a little bit on the podcast and see if anyone listening thinks there's something interesting or has some more additional ideas just to get it out in another another venue. So I was at a college football game recently, and I was sitting there watching the experience and was just really impressed by every second of the experience is pretty well optimized, right? They're you know constantly doing kiss cam and dance cam, and there's music, and there's cheerleaders, and there's people running around the field with flags, and there's, you know, there's just a lot going on all the time to try to keep the fans super engaged and not on their phone and, and disengaged from the experience. And I was trying to think of like, you know, I was like, oh, like what if, you know, Krausthaus bought this college football team, which was really, although there is some private equity been getting into college football teams, but no alpha leak on that today. But I was just like watching, I was like, man, what would we do in arena that would really wow the fans? And I found myself kind of being like, man, like they do a decent job. Like there's not an obvious spot to, to go inject kind of a lot of Greenfield. And I love Greenfield just as an entrepreneur. Just I love Greenfield. And it just got me thinking, though, I was like, you know, this is not how I experience a game at home. And there's obviously a lot of pros to watching games at home. I mean, you, you know, you're able to do the dishes and have a beer with a friend and actually hear each other or like, you know, watch multiple games and all the different things that go into the, the benefits of watching a game. But it dawned on me that there's really no monetization effort through the dead spots of the game. And, and it, it struck me that there might be a reason why. So you have a team, let's use the NBA as an example. You have an NBA team. And what they do is I obviously partner with typically a regional broadcaster and they'll take the regional broadcaster and the regional broadcaster then films the game and does the pre-game show and the halftime show and the post-game show and all these things, right? And they try to create this experience around the game that then they sell ad units in between for the dead spots. But generally speaking, it's the broadcaster's job to film all the game action and then sell ads for all the, the downtime action, Right. And that's a pretty symbiotic relationship between the team and the broadcaster because what do they care, right? That's like, hey, this give, you pay me a bunch of money. You figure out how to make the money. That's great. We'll play great basketball. It is what it is. But it dawned on me that those dead time ad units are actually able to be sold twice. And now the regional broadcaster would not be happy with this idea. But from a team's perspective, I think that's a great idea. And so if you think about it, it's like, okay, so my job is to put the best product experience I possibly can out on the court. And then we play the game and that's the, that's the bread, bread winner. And then we're basically selling the, the game fight footage and the dead time footage to a, a single buyer. And then they're monetizing, they're showing one and then right selling the other. Why not build an experience on your phone or whatever it may be to monetize the dead time? And you've already thought about all these different really compelling ways in arena to drive engagement. We could even emulate a lot of them. So some of them might be really great to emulate. Some of them might not be. But I think of like, you know, Milwaukee Brewers have like a sausage race where they have these four people dress up into these, these sausages and race around, you know, for a hundred bucks at a thing. What's the equivalent of that experience during a TV commercial on my phone, watching the Brewer game in the app where I'm actually running along. And instead of it four people, there's thousands of people competing. And instead of perhaps just being like a, you know, one single big prize, it's lots of micro prizes or prizes that unlock things like loyalty back into the, into the team. Maybe I can upgrade my seats for next game, or maybe I'm able to or win a jersey to, today, right? How do I bake these things in the ideas that we've been doing with fan engagement and this fan ownership experience, but using this dead time as one of multiple channels to engage fans in a deeper, more meaningful way in this time where they're already they're already sort of disengaged, for lack of a better word, 
And then the team, the pitch of the team is like, do you want to monetize the dead time twice? Right? We sell it to the regional broadcaster and then we go and do our own crazy things. And with low latency, and we've already talked about this with alternative broadcasts, we'd have the opportunity to say, hey, like we want to do a half court shot, you know, for a million bucks. Great. Like what's the equivalent of the app experience that we can go in there and do something where maybe we have 10,000 people trying to shoot a difficult shot on their phone. And maybe there's some sort of flick mechanism, flappy bird, you know, style UX or something like that, where they can go win a hundred dollars or again, back things back into a loyalty program or back into a merchant or uh, merchandise or membership program. I just think this idea of at least experimenting that space. And I want to give shout out to, to Mario and the team that worked with and Uncle John as well that worked with Overtime Elite is that they did experiments around this with like user generated content. So they might say like, hey, it's halftime, like show us your best dunk on your little tykes hoop, right? And it's like these kids would go out and go do it and they submit the videos and like try to compete, you know, to, to, to win different prizes. We've seen this type of pattern be hit before. I just think fans aren't being met with compelling reasons to even bother with this. Now, there's certainly a counter argument like, hey, will the people just sit on their couch and scroll TikTok as soon as that happens? Yeah, maybe. Like it's a, TikTok's a very high bar, like uh, absolutely. But I think there's a really interesting opportunity space from a business perspective as well as a fan experience perspective for someone like Krausehaus to come in and say, hey, let's think about this differently. Let's think about this from a first principles perspective. Let's push the boundaries of technology here to not only build really fun, engaging experiences for that dead time, but really fun and engaging rewards and mechanisms that go back into this fan ownership light experience that we've been articulating in this entire time. So I wanted to put that idea out there for folks. If, you, if you're sort of excited about this or like, oh, let's try this idea or this would be a really great feature or we could sell it like this or price it or build it. I don't know. Just let me know. I'm just trying to work in public, share ideas and concepts. I'm excited about this one. I think there's some real merit there, but I wanted to share it with the broader Krausehaus community. All right. Let's talk NBA preview sneak peek. So I think our next episode that we're going to do is going to be an NBA preview. We're going to bring Bayesian Baller from the community, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy that assisted and did almost all of the analytics and scouting and reporting. I think all of it. Who am I, who am I kidding for the ball hogs in the, in the big three league. We're going to dive in him flex and myself, and we're going to explore how we're seeing the NBA season shape out for those who are keeping score at home, which is me, Sacramento Kings. I called last year as being a big surprise. Oh man, they were close last year to, to really pulling it off. I'm excited to kind of go through some of my more hot takes. I'm sure Flex will have some some cold takes out there that uh, we'll have to dig through. But really excited to go through the NBA preview. So stay tuned. Make sure you follow, subscribe. We'll be posting an in-depth NBA preview sneak peek. And the league is, I mean, the league's tipping off, I think, in three weeks here. And so we're getting really, really close to the NBA season, which I just think, it, you know, Kraushaus, without the NBA season being in full swing, it's just not as amazing, but when the NBA is in full swing and Krausehouse is, is, you know, bumping right along with it, that's an amazing vibe. And then luckily with the big three, you know, when the big three is, is rolling, especially on those Fridays and Saturdays as we're building up in the big three season, you know, Krausehouse, Krausehouse and real basketball that we can watch and sink our teeth into. It's the best, man. I love that feeling. So I'm so excited for the NBA season to tip off. I'm so excited to see Dame. I was going to say Dame in a Bucks jersey, but I've already seen it. I've already seen it. I've seen all the media footage, baby. So excited to see Dame and Giannis team up on the court. 
I got to say one more thing about that. Chris Middleton as a third option is just like, dude, the thing that was really the challenge with Drew, and again, I love Drew, but the thing that was really challenged with Milwaukee and Drew Holiday in, in Middleton for that matter, all three of them, is that times Giannis will get a little too aggressive. He'll get into foul trouble, often charges. His shot outside shot might not be falling, so he's trying extra hard to get to the basket. And for whatever reason, you know, like he just has to take a little step back. It might be a quarter, a half a quarter, whatever it is. And so you need Middleton to step up. And Middleton just, he doesn't have this sort of create your own shot at all places of the court, right? He really, he works well off screens. He definitely can create his own shot, but he kind of creates it in a particular way. It's not like, it's not like a ball heavy way. And at times he can kind of shy away from the light as well. And then Drew is more of a defensive guy. He definitely can step up, but then you could see him try to overcompensate. Okay, Giannis is getting a little foul trouble. Chris is, you know, a little timid or it's not falling today. So now I got to take over. And when you want, when you have Drew now having to step up as your leading scorer in the situation, I love Drew, but like he's just he's not that guy in the NBA as it relates to being your leading shot creator and shot maker. And so this idea that like Dame, if Dame's having an off night, and Giannis for whatever reason maybe is in foul trouble, and now you're coming to Middleton, and not to mention if you have all three of them on the court, who's guarding Chris Middleton? I mean. It's probably, interestingly enough, actually, as I say this out loud, it's probably one of the best defenders on the court, or I guess the second best defender. It's, pick your point. Who do, you, who do you guard, right? I mean, if you have a big that is versatile, like, yeah, you probably throw them on Giannis, but sometimes people like to play a little bit smaller on, you know, maybe a P.J. Tucker or something like that on a Giannis. And then who guards a Dame, right? And it's like traditionally someone like a Drew Holiday type defender, Pat Beverly. But now you're sort of left with these kind of in-transition wing defenders. But, like, should there are they better suited to go guard Dame with their length? And, like, any way you slice it, it's just a tough combination. And then, by the way, Brooke Lopez is looping out there, you know, looming out there. I know this is not a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, but, damn, maybe it should be, man. This team, I'm super excited. I will say they're going to start, they're going to come out of the gate slow. Just like the Heatles. Not that saying that they're on the Heatles level, but... It's tough when you have, you know, Wade and LeBron just figuring each other out. Chris and Giannis have played together forever. There's there's rapport, there's chemistry, all those things. But man, as a Bucks fan, I'm sorry, I got to rant about it. I'm sure I'll rant about it in our next episode. But thanks everyone for listening. Bucks in five? Can we say that? Can we say that? Can we say Bucks in five now? Is that the new, is that the new saying? Brandon Jennings out? Commodore in? I don't know. We'll see. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Be well.